Thank you, Mr. League, and good afternoon, everyone. Happy Sabbath to all of you. With 211 here today, it feels very comfortable and very warming. We bring you greetings from our brethren in Nashville, Tennessee, where we were last Sabbath. And as you heard the announcements, we had a very profitable visit to the NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Had many contacts and uh, actually some very interesting media strategies that many of these different ministries use. So it was very profitable and very interesting. Welcome to all our guests. We do have uh, an information table. Appreciate your uh, writing your name in our guest book. You may have heard the story of a Frenchman who planted seeds in France. Over time, he took acorns and planted these seeds all over southeastern France in a desolate area. It was a place where no one lived, and eventually, after many years, 10,000 people developed a community in that area because he had planted seeds for oak trees, and 10,000 of them grew over the years. He had a tragedy. He lost his wife. He lost his son. And yet he continued over the years to plant 100,000 acorns in about three years' time. Of those those 100,000 acorns, 20,000 sprouted and 10,000 grew into trees. He apparently planted 100 seeds a day for 25 years. And at the age of 89, he died in 1947. But he made a difference. It was a total change in the environment from a desolate place in southeastern France to an area where now 10,000 people prospered. So my question, one of my questions to you today is, have you ever planted a seed in soil? Let me see how many hands have actually done that. Wonderful. That is about 92% of you have done that. And uh, for those of you who haven't, of course, you want to uh, do that in the future, and uh, your children particularly. I know when I was in the 7th and 8th grade, I planted seeds. I had the back of my house a morning glory flower and uh, attached a string to the back of the house, and the morning glory flower grew. And it was just uh, an impression for me. In the uh, Charlotte Observer here of February 19th, It's under gardening. It says, plant a seed, grow a tomato. The article states, not only did the temperature rise this week to admirable levels, the sun showed up looking strong and bright. All this tells us is that spring is out there somewhere preparing to charm us. While waiting for spring's charm offenses, what what must a gardener do? A gardener must sow tomato seeds. So perhaps now is the time for some of us to start growing a vegetable garden. When my wife and I were in Big Sandy, Texas for many years, we had not been gardeners, but my next-door neighbor was director of the farm program, and he taught us how to plant a garden with a rototiller, and then it was only 5 feet by 10 feet. I called it a postage stamp garden. And uh, we had all kinds of vegetables. It was just absolutely wonderful. When I think back to uh, the Second World War, people in the United States were encouraged to grow what was called victory gardens. 
And uh, how many of you had a victory garden? Of course, no, you're, okay, Mr. League, Mr. Davis, uh, sir, you're giving your ages out at the present time. But nonetheless, uh, it is something when we realize, as you've read in the papers this past week, how food prices are increasing. Um, Now is the time for perhaps all of us to start encouraging one another to plant seeds and to plant a garden. I was, uh, my wife and I stopped in Asheville on the way back, stopped in a nature store, and uh, here was a, a person, uh, the manager, was very interested in birding. Uh, birding is one of the nation's popular uh, tourists or hobbies. Uh, one of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, says that bird watchers spend $36 billion on their hobby in 2006 and one-fifth of all Americans were identified as bird watchers. But home gardening is even more important as a hobby for Americans. From one report, 31% of all United States households, or an estimated 36 million households, participated in food gardening in 2008. 21% of food gardening households in 2009 will be new to gardening. And garden plans for 2009, 11% of households are already active in food gardening plans to increase both the amount and variety of vegetables they'll grow in 2009. And as food prices rise and as food becomes uh, a priority in many people's lives, it will be good for us to prepare ahead. But we also have the opportunity to plant seeds, spiritual seeds, for God's kingdom. We have the opportunity to plant seeds for eternal life. We have the opportunity and the responsibility to plant seeds for a great harvest of spiritual fruit, a harvest of souls, children of the world that will be transformed to children of the kingdom. God's church preaches the gospel of the kingdom of God. We all participate in that mission. And in a way, we are sowing seeds to the kingdom. And that's the title of the sermon, Sowing Seeds to the Kingdom. So let's understand, brethren, that we ourselves, by analogy, in addition to being farmers, in addition to planting seeds, we ourselves are plants, and we are also trees of God, and we individually need to plant and to produce fruit. Let's turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. And here we find that those who meditate on God's law are going to be bearing fruit. And, of course, that's what we need to be doing. We grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, and we are to be fruitful Christians. Psalm 1. I think most of you perhaps have memorized this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It talks about standing, sitting, and walking. But his delight is in the law of the eternal, and in his law he meditates day and night. We've had sermons here a few months ago on meditation, practice godly meditation, and practice godly thinking. But notice what you will be like if you're doing this. Verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. He's going to be so healthy and so Fruitful that even when there's a drought, notice this, whose leaf also shall not wither. 
and whatsoever he does shall prosper. So God expects us, by analogy, to be fruitful trees. I remember one time my wife and I were coming back from the feast in Hawaii back in 1968. We stopped in the island of Hawaii. And uh, it was the Sabbath, and we were by this between Kona and Hilo uh, was a, uh, a little oasis by the ocean, a little uh, with palm trees all around. I opened the Bible and read in the psalm that how God's people are like palm trees. They, they live that long, with just a, a beautiful sense of what God expects of us, that he wants us to live long. Let's turn to John, the 14th chapter. John 14, John 15 rather, and starting verse 1, and you know John 15 is about the true vine. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So there's a close relationship to our spiritual growth. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now that's a very sobering thought, that we all must be bearing fruit. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And of course, I was interviewed this one time when I was feast coordinator at Lake of the Ozarks. And this one television company or the local television station came by and I was expecting them to ask about uh, statistics about the Feast of Tabernacles there in the Ozark and how many people we had. And the reporter said, what do you think about the moral condition of the United States? Well, it was rather a different question than I anticipated. But I, my answer was that as long as our nation was a Bible-reading people, we were a moral people. But we have ceased to read the Bible, and we are becoming increasingly immoral. Jesus said, you are clean through the word that I have spoken to you. There is a natural benefit a moral benefit if people are reading the Bible and at least trying to apply it in their own lives. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And that close relationship is what will produce fruit in our lives. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. This whole theme of Christ in you, the hope of glory, as it tells us in Colossians 1, and Dr. Meredith's favorite scripture of Galatians 2.20, that we are to abide in him, and he lives in us. And I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. You can do nothing of lasting value. You can do all kinds of vain activities that are not lasting, but you can do nothing of lasting value. Unless, he says, you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If anyone does not abide in me, verse 6, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Again, we must take that warning seriously. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. And here, Dr. Meredith in his Passover preparation sermon here just a few weeks ago was encouraging us to read the Bible. He asked, are you reading or studying the Bible 15 minutes a day? Are you reading and studying the Bible a half an hour a day? We need to internalize God's Word and make it a part of our thoughts. We talk about it. We study it. We underline the Scriptures in our own Bible. We highlight our Bibles. And, of course, one of the better 
or one of the most effective ways of studying the Bible is through the Tomorrow's World Bible Study course. I hope you're doing that. Uh, we just learned that uh, I believe the latest uh, subscribers, online subscribers for the Bible Study course were from, uh, one was from Burundi. Uh, so we have new uh, people from all over the world subscribing to our Bible study course. Verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. We are all students, as we heard earlier. We are all the disciples of Christ that we must learn and internalize God's Word. Let's turn to uh, James the first chapter, James 1, of course, one of the scriptures we read at Pentecost. And uh, we know that Pentecost is the Feast of Weeks, but it's also the Feast of first fruits. James, the first chapter. Take a little here of Dr. Meredith's tea. She has here for James, the first chapter, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Oh, God created the earth. He created the laws. He's the lawgiver that every prosperous thing, every good thing that we have comes back to him. He owns the earth. He owns the universe. And comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. You can trust God. His words are sure. As Jesus said, his words are going to last forever. Verse 18 is a wonderful verse. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Now, I like the King James Version better. Of his own will begat he us by the word of truth. In other words, God gave us his Holy Spirit, and it begat us combined with the Spirit in man, produced a begotten child of God. And of his own will, he decided to do that with each and every one of us who has been, who's repented, has been baptized and received God's Holy Spirit. It shows you the mind of God, that he knows every hair on your head. He knows your thoughts. He knows who you are. And he wants all of us, as David prayed, create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. God's masterpiece of creation is holy, righteous, godly character. And we're in that process. That we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Again, there is the spring harvest. There is the great fall harvest. Feast of Pentecost is called the Feast of Harvest. The first fruits of your labors are in Exodus 23 and verse 16. The Feast of Pentecost is also called the Feast of Weeks the first fruits of wheat harvest. Mr. Mario Hernandez gave a sermon explaining the various harvest seasons. That was just a few weeks ago, sermon number 616, the early rain and planting season. And if you haven't heard that sermon, I recommend that you listen to it, get online on our website and listen to that sermon. That, of course, would be on our lcg.org website. Well, the Feast of Pentecost reveals that we are first fruits of God's great plan of salvation. And Christ is called the first of the first fruits. And uh, by indication there in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23. So even though we are the first fruits of God's plan, there are many thousands 
and perhaps millions yet to be called and converted in this age before Christ returns. We have a privilege, but we also have a responsibility to sow seeds to the kingdom. And we have a part of planting, nurturing, and harvesting yet in this age and in the age to come. But we must be diligent sowers of seeds. Let's take a look at some negative examples in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, the 20th chapter, shows a lazy man will not plow because of winter. Proverbs 20 and verse 4. We don't want to be like these particular farmers. Proverbs 20 and verse 4. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. It's too cold out there. I'm not going to plow the ground and prepare it for seed. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. So he won't plant, he won't plow, and he's not going to have any harvest. When harvest time comes, he will have nothing. Proverbs 24 and verse 27. There are quite a few scriptures on planting and harvesting. You could do a a topical Bible study on that subject. Proverbs 24 and verse 27. Prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward build your house. You're going to prepare the field first. And of course, in a practical sense, it means that young men develop their career, they get their education, they get their training as a, as a uh, whatever career they may have, so they can have uh, the income and the ability to support a wife and support a family. And that was on my mind uh, when I was going through college and working on my civil engineering degree, that I need to be, I need to have a career before I can get married. And I, well, I shouldn't tell all my personal stories, but I, I know there was one young lady when I was going to college who was kind of pursuing me, and uh, I should, well, I don't know, should I tell that story about it? <laughs> anyway, I, I, I've told this story, I think it's some, marriage seminars and so forth, but uh, she said, well, why don't you want, she, she smoked, and I, I wouldn't marry anyone, you know, a girl who smoked, but she said, well, why don't you want to get married? I said, well, because I want to marry the ideal woman, and she doesn't exist. That's why I won't be getting married. So anyway, I think that, I don't know if that convinced her or not. But uh, later on, I, I modified my uh, philosophy and realized you marry a converted wife, and Christ is going to marry a converted bride, which means then, of course, that all of us need to be converted. Now, how do we get on that subject? Let's hear it here. <laughs> oh, yes, prepare and then build, Proverbs 24, verse 27 tells us. Proverbs 28 and verse 19, again, Are you going to be a diligent sower? Are you going to sow seed or are you going to be lazy? Proverbs 28, verse 19. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. So we need to diligently plant our fields and we need to use good seed. I hope uh, many of you have read uh, commentary on the Tomorrow's World site. It was titled Deceptive Seed, uh, written by one of our own Charlotte members here. It starts off in this commentary, Deceptive Seed. Quote, 
Our local grocery store always seems to have in stock what appears to be healthy produce. However, many of us really know how many of us really know where our produce comes from. These days, it is possible that the food you are eating may contain genetic derivatives from eight different genetically modified foods. Experts state that more than 70% of items on supermarket shelves contain genetically modified foods. And some time back, the European Union prohibited genetically modified foods, and there was a continuing trade conflict between the United States and the European Union. The United States wanted to export genetically modified foods to Europe, but the Europeans said, no, you're not going to send that kind of food to us. Do they know something that our Americans don't know? Is there a vulnerability in our eating those genetically modified foods in the future? Well, brethren, we need to, again, do the best that we can and pray for God's protection and guidance, but we need to plant good spiritual seeds ourselves. And as we prepare for the Passover, which incidentally is six weeks from tomorrow night, uh, Mr. League was telling how time is moving very quickly, but we need to ask ourselves, you know, are we sowing the wind? Let's turn to Hosea. Uh, the Hosea, we'll find out here again different kinds of, of sowings of seed. In one case, it's uh, an encouraging uh, example of sowing seed. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Hosea begins uh, right after the book of Daniel. Hosea, the eighth chapter and verse seven. They sow the wind. Here's the apostasy of Israel as the subject, the uh, context. They sow the wind, and what do they reap? They reap the whirlwind, something worse. And, of course, even people have been killed recently in the United States from tornadoes. We had a tornado warning or watch there near uh, Nashville when we were there. The stalk has no bud. It will never produce meal. If it should produce, aliens will swallow it up. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. So as we prepare for the Passover, we need to ask ourselves, are we sowing? What are we sowing? Are we sowing wind? Are we spending time in vain pursuits? Are we running around in circles, getting nowhere fast? Or are we producing godly fruit? Hosea, the 10th chapter, just over the page, Hosea 10, verse 12. What should we sow? Sow for yourselves righteousness. Hosea 10, verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. You know, we're to seek God's righteousness. Matthew 6, 33. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, let God's way of life lead you. It's like the 23rd Psalm. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I pray that. That God will lead me in the path of righteousness. As I make many mistakes, I sin, and I have to repent and ask God's forgiveness. But sow for yourselves righteousness. What are you going to reap? Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the eternal till he comes and rains righteousness on you. But he says to the apostasy of Israel and Israel's sin, you have plowed wickedness. And what are you going to reap? You have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way in the multitude of your mighty men. 
So we need to again sow righteousness. So Hosea contrasts the positive sowing with the negative sowing. And we are called to sow spiritual seeds to the kingdom. Let's look at some positive examples we, we did in passing here in Proverbs and in Hosea. But let's turn to Psalm 126 and see a positive example of sowing. But we realize that, yes, we all experience and endure severe trials from time to time. But even in those cases, we can't stop working for God. We can't stop sowing seeds to a spiritual harvest. We need to keep enduring even when we're in pain, even when we're ill, for example. And I won't ask you to raise your hands in this case, but how many of you have uh, gone to the hospital, visited one of our six me- sick members, and you the purpose of your visit was to encourage the person who was ill in the hospital. But what you found out was that the patient actually encouraged you. Anyone experience that? See some of you nodding your heads. And even those individuals, and I remember, I, I, I don't want to go through all the examples that I can think of, those individuals who... One person dying of cancer and half of his face uh, eaten away of cancer. And I visited him in the hospital. He was so positive and he encouraged me. So he tells us here in Psalm 126, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Even those who are afflicted, those who may be dying of cancer, they still were sowing, maybe in tears, and they're going to reap in joy. We need to be diligent sowers and we never give up radiating the fruits of God's spirit of love, joy, and peace. Verse 6 of Psalm 126. He he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And of course that's going to happen with the second exodus after those who come out of the great tribulation. And God uses as the core of physical Israel to start the millennium under the kingdom of God, the kings and priests that will be ruling and teaching. So we need to sow righteousness. And then we can reap mercy, as we read in Hosea 10:12. And he who tills his land will have plenty of bread, we read in Proverbs 28:19. So our mission is to plant and to reap. Let's turn to John, the fourth chapter. And here, you might say this was Jesus' mission statement, and we have a sermon number 463. What is your mission statement? Do you have an underlying, dedicated, commitment, mission in your own personal heart and mind? Who are you? What are you? What are you dedicated to? What are you committed to? What is your mission? What is, do you have a mission statement? Many corporations have a mission statement. Of course, we have our statement and our official statement of fundamental beliefs in which we outline our mission. But John, the fourth chapter, starting with verse 31. In the meantime, of course, here was the heading of the whitened harvest. His disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Verse 32, John 4. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, 
My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And I hope that most of you have that underlined in your Bible and you know that by heart. That could be your mission statement. That's part of my mission statement is to do the will of him that sent us and to finish his work. We want to do that to our last breath, our last living breath before we die or are transformed when Christ returns. My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, verse 35, there are still four months and then comes the harvest? That was a common saying about the harvest time in Israel or in the Holy Land, I should say, in this case. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. But that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So we all have our part. We know the analogy in 1 Corinthians 12 of the body. We're not all hands. We're not all feet. We're not all ears or eyes or nose. Uh, some of us are big toes. You know, some of us are elbows. Uh, but we work together as a smooth, functioning family and body and team to get the work done. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored, verse 38. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. I skip verse 37. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. And, of course, the commentators feel that maybe part of that might be that those who have gone before, the prophets who have sown, John the Baptist who had preached, and, of course, others uh, who had preached the prophets, that they had sowed the seeds of the truth, the, the gospel, the way of God, and some are reaping in the end time. And, of course, we had on the day of Pentecost how many were baptized. 3,000 were baptized. And it wasn't just because of Peter's sermon. They had had a background of God's truth from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Scriptures. They'd heard the prophets. They knew what was happening. They knew when Peter said, You have crucified him, the Lord of glory. They were touched. They were cut to the heart and realized, what shall we do? And he said, men and brethren, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there was planting ahead of time. There was sowing of the seeds ahead of time. And we as a church fasted and prayed that lost sheep will return to the fold. We've done that uh, year after year. And it's happening. I think I mentioned to you before when we were down in uh, Daytona and Paducah, I think that was the feast of uh, nine, uh, 2006, and uh, one person in, uh, there in Daytona said, this is my first time back. I was, grew up in the church or I attended the church. It's my first time back in 30 years. One of the lost sheep had come back. And then in Paducah, I met a person. The person said, this is my first time back in 40 years. And I told the brethren there, don't give up on your children. Continue to pray for your children. Those who've gone astray, keep praying for them. I mentioned this in Nashville. And one lady came up to me afterwards and said, I've been attending here in Nashville for the last six months. And I was away from the church for 35 years, and she had come back into the church. So you never give up those relationships. You always sow seeds of love and 
contact and patience and consideration and thoughtfulness. Let's turn to Galatians, the sixth chapter, Galatians 6. So we continue to pray daily for family and friends who may have gone astray. We don't give up on them. We continue to show them godly, unconditional love. Galatians, the sixth chapter, again, so shows that we are, have a responsibility to sow, to sow seeds, in this case, spiritual seeds. And the very spiritual, it's not just a spiritual principle, it's a spiritual law, it's a spiritual reality. We think of those who are wicked, those who are sowing wickedness and perversion and so forth. What's going to happen to them? The law is automatic. As they sow to the flesh, they're going to, of the flesh, reap corruption, it tells us in verse 8. But let's start in verse 6, Galatians 6, uh, verse 7, sorry. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Again, we continue to sow even during times of trial and testing and times of challenge. We still continue to do good. Therefore, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. That should be part of our mission statement, too. That should be a part of your very character. Let us do good to all. You do good to the grocer. You do good to the checkout agent. You do good to uh, people you bump into in a, in a grocery store or wherever. Do good to all. In uh, King James, I believe it says, do good unto all men. Especially, he goes on to say, or write, to those who are of the household of faith, or the household of God. That should be a part of our mission statement, just as LCR Bouffier planted seeds, a hundred seeds a day for so many decades. So we are consistent in sowing seeds to the Spirit. I remember back in my high school years, I mentioned uh, planting a little garden there in Big Sandy and also planting morning glory seeds for those flowers uh, when I was a, a boy, teenager. But it was, I believe, in the last part of my high school years. There was, uh, in Meriden, Connecticut, we got the New York Daily News, and they had all these advertisements, and this was incredible offer. I think it was like seven or eight different trees for $2.77, something like that. And so I sent away for it, and I got this large package and here are all these little little tiny trees just little you know maybe a foot tall or two foot tall i planted and that might have been i'm not sure what year it would have been 1990 1954 1955 i planted a spruce tree planted a tulip tree planted i believe it was two eucalyptus trees i've gone back to my home in meriden connecticut 50 55 years later those trees are still there. And they are towering, the two uh, eucalyptus trees are towering over the house. I can see trees I planted more than 50 years ago still growing. And it's incredible to think of what you can do. We have uh, one of our employees at headquarters is 
planting some fruit trees around the uh, back of our office building, so hopefully they'll be bearing fruit and we can have some peaches or uh, some fruit here recently. You know, John F. Kennedy gave a speech at the UC Berkeley on March 23, 1962. The speech was titled, The Age of Hate or the Age of Knowledge. And this particular quote or anecdote had to do with planting trees. He said, we must think and act not only for the moment, but for our time. President Kennedy went on to say, I am reminded of the story of the great French Marshal Leite, who once asked his gardener to plant a tree. The gardener objected that the tree was slow growing and would not reach maturity for a hundred years. The marshal replied, in that case, there is no time to lose. Plant it this afternoon. Going to take a hundred years to mature. Plant it this afternoon. And I want to encourage all of you, brethren, to plant it, not this afternoon, but uh, <laughs> tomorrow morning, maybe, or Monday. Plant your trees. Plant your seeds. And, of course, we're continually doing it in many different ways, and I want to discuss that here in a minute. Johnny Appleseed, many of you know them, and I hope uh, some of your parents have shared that story of Johnny Appleseed with your children. He was an American pioneer who in his life planted apple seeds throughout the American Midwest. He would plant seeds randomly, but he also developed tree nurseries. And because of his seed planting, many apple trees grew in Ohio, parts of Ohio, Illinois, and Indiana. His real name was John Chapman. Uh, he lived from 1774 to 1845. But his hobby, his way of life was to plant seeds, and so he got the nickname Johnny Appleseed. And God tells us in Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. The remainder of the sermon, I want to show you some strategies and ways to sow seeds to the kingdom. The first is to develop personal relationships. Extremely important. Let's turn to Matthew, the fifth chapter. We know, again, the second great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. I, uh, my wife, by the way, is a block captain for the watch, crime watch uh, responsibilities for our neighborhood. And she uh, visits our neighbors and uh, she'll walk down the street very gregarious and talk with various of our neighbors. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? That's the second great commandment, remember. Here in Matthew, the fifth chapter, of course, he tells us in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So you have good works. It might even be just opening the door. If I'm at the grocery store and, and here's a lady with uh, uh, bags of groceries and the door doesn't open automatically, I'll open the door for her. That's sowing a little seed, a very tiny seed. But it's letting our light shine and doing good works. And, of course, we've considered, Dr. Meredith has talked about our doing in a formal way, although we do it individually, to have an outreach into the community. We help uh, community uh, problems, and we also, of course, have a disaster fund 
which we've helped people all over the world, and particularly in Haiti with uh, the disaster that's taken place there. In fact, uh, even more recently, we just signed a grant from the emergency fund. Uh, thank you for contributing to that of $5,000 for a family in Brisbane whose home was damaged during the great floods down there. So we help one another. We serve one another. We show kindness to strangers, but uh, we show love to our relatives now. I may have mentioned to you before that in 2009 when we went to uh, Kingston, New York for Passover and the night to be much observed, um, was uh, at a, a retreat, a resort, uh, kind of uh, primitive, but with cabins, a uh, wonderful uh, first uh, day of unleavened bread, a night to be much observed. But we were able to go into Massachusetts and Connecticut the next uh, three or four days, and I visited seven first cousins, one second cousin, one boyhood friend that I knew when I, when I was a boy, and four of their spouses. And you think, well, wait a minute, I don't like my relatives. <laughs> you know, but we need to show kindness and love and contact those who might be a part of God's kingdom, and particularly, you know, when my cousin, I think of one of my particular cousins, I shouldn't mention his name, I'll call him Joe. You know, when Joe comes up in the white throne judgment and he sees, oh, there's cousin Richard there on his throne. What's he doing there? He never showed me any love. You know, yeah. we, you really, what you do today has lasting effects even eternal effects, what you do and how you relate to other people. You are the light of the world. Our example can encourage the lives of others. Our example can touch the hearts of others. We have a sermon, number 137, the power of example. As I pointed out before, you cannot not communicate. That's one of the principles in uh, communication. You say, I'm not communicating. Yes, you are communicating because you're not trying to communicate. We can see what you're from your body language or what you're not creating. Let's turn to uh, Galatians, the fifth chapter. Yes, Christ is the vine and we're the branches. We are a part of that vine. We're also trees that are to bring forth fruit in its season. But here's some of the fruit that you know, know well, that we should be producing and radiating in our daily lives. Galatians 5, and starting with verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Now, do you pray that you can produce that fruit daily, that you're radiating that fruit every day? Patience or long-suffering. You suffer long, you think about, oh, here's this obnoxious friend or this obnoxious other person. How long will I bear with this person? Well, it's long-suffering. You're suffering, suffer long. It means be patient with this, this person. And be patient with those, as we heard in the sermonette, who may be coming uh, tomorrow. And uh, hopefully all of us, or many of us, will be there to support the TWSP and the um, University Hilton Hotel. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. So we need to again exemplify and produce the fruits of the Spirit. And we save others. We can actually save others by our example. Uh, let's turn there briefly to First Peter, the third chapter, First Peter 3. 
So how do we sow seeds to the kingdom? One is by developing personal relationships. And it may be that the seeds of love, unconditional love you sow, will not bear fruit for another 30, 40, or 50 years. Or maybe it will bear fruit in the millennium. Or maybe it will bear fruit in the white throne judgment. But have the faith and the confidence that it will bear fruit. First Peter, the third chapter, starting with verse 1. On the chapter second Peter. First Peter three. Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some are not converted or non member mates, then even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your example, your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So again, you can have an influence. You can actually have an effect on the lives of others. And I can give you examples of those. I remember way back when, when one uh, man that I visited had been an example to his wife, and his wife was finally converted after about 10 years. And then another case in which the wife was such a wonderful example, the husband was converted after about 12 years of her steadfast Christian life and love and example. It may take time, but you never give up. And you continue to sow and water and reap over a period of time. So have the courage to make a difference in the lives of others. He's called us to be witnesses. Let's, let's turn back there. Acts 1, verse 8. Acts 1 and verse 8. Again, we realize that we're going into all the world. I mentioned that one of the latest online Bible study course students is from Burundi. And uh, we have them from 133 different countries around the world are taking the Tomorrow's World Bible study course, maybe even more by now. Acts, the first chapter in verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, we are not like uh, some so-called witnesses who try to twist people's arms going house to house, but we are lights in the world, and you cannot help but be a witness. And we heard that fine sermonette of how we can be a light and a proper witness in tomorrow's special presentation with all the guests that will be here. But God has called us to be witnesses around the world. And, of course, the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached around the world as well. And then, of course, we realize that there are people we don't like. And uh, I remember one student, and we all have different personalities, and some of us uh, are technocrats where we do the best work and in closed doors and with our PC, and, and we don't associate with people. But you associate with people at least on the Sabbath. And God gives us that warning, of course, in Hebrews 10, verse 26, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And even if my profile, my personality is one that is not gregarious, outgoing, I need to learn how to be loving and serving and thoughtful and considerate and kind. We don't want to be like Calvin and Hobbes or like Calvin, and I've shared this one before you, but we do need to learn to like people. You say, well, this person is unlikable. <laughs> well, 
at least you can love the person if you don't like him. You know, Calvin uh, and, you know, and uh, Hobbes were going down the sled and they're making, uh, talking about New Year's resolutions and, and he's talking about it's not enough, the Calvin on the sled with, you know, the tiger going down the hill, it's not enough to change a few little habits. Everybody I know needs a complete personality overhaul. So how could Calvin love anyone because everyone he knows needs a complete personality overhaul? Well, let's examine ourselves. Maybe we need some personality adjustments or modifications. And so they go off the cliff into the pond in the pool. And uh, so Calvin says, that's why I'll be spending the remaining days of this year telling people what I hate about them and how they should change. We had the humorous presentation by Mr. McNair of how not to interact with our guests tomorrow. And then, of course, the tiger, Hobbes, says, some of us would be happy to reciprocate. And then Calvin says, sorry, my New Year's resolution is not to change a bit. So you find there are individuals who say, I don't like anyone. I don't like people. Well, you know, God has made everyone in his own image. And we have to understand that we need to love those persons, whether we like them or not. We need to pray for those who are vain and self-centered. We need that unconditional love that he talks about in Matthew, the fifth chapter. Pray for your enemies. You know, do good to those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those that spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And that's in Matthew 5, verse 45. Are you the sons and the daughters of your Father in heaven? Are you loving your enemies? Can you do that? And you realize that as you walk the streets, and I have to remind myself, when I see someone out there begging for money, or I see someone who's a little uh, contrary and uh, obnoxious, I have to think of what Dr. Meredith wrote about in the co-worker letter. I call it a quotable quote. It was the October 10th, 2005 co-worker letter. He was expressing his love and compassion this way, quote, Dear brethren and co-workers with Christ, greetings from Charlotte, North Carolina. Talk about natural disasters. Even as I write, radio and television reports tell us that tens of thousands of human beings have perished in the powerful earthquake which just struck Pakistan and parts of India. Perhaps none of these people were truly acquainted with the God of the Bible, but every human being is precious in God's sight. That has been a part of my consciousness, my awareness. Every human being is precious in God's sight. We realize that the contact that we have, as we heard in the sermonette with some of our guests tomorrow, may be the only contact they will ever have with a true Christian. We realize every human being is precious in God's sight. Of course, Will Rogers, I think, went to the other extreme. He was the American comedian and commentator in the 1920s and 30s, and his famous statement was, quote, I joked about every prominent man of my time, but I never met a man I didn't like, end of quote. Well, I, I don't think I can say that, that you, you liked everyone you met. 
uh, he wanted that statement on his tombstone as an epitaph, as a summary of his philosophy and as his life. He was also quoted as saying in a humorous way, quote, I am not a member of any organized political party. I am a Democrat, end of quote. <laughs> but we do, again, need to make sure that we are working to be peacemakers and to have that mission statement to continually do good to all men. So the first strategy of sowing seeds to the kingdom is to develop personal relationships and to be a light in the world. Number two is really a, an extension of that, continually do good to all. We read that in Galatians 6 and verse 10. Do good unto all men, especially the household of faith. There's a bunk, bumper sticker that uh, I've seen that says, Practice random acts of kindness. You know, here's, oh, well, I'll just be kind to this person or that, that person. It should be a way of life. And Jesus commented on that way of life, of kindness and thoughtfulness, in Matthew, the 25th chapter. Continually do good to all, Matthew, the 25th chapter. And uh, here is the uh, Son of Man will judge the nation, starting with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate one from another as a sheep herd divides his, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? Because they continually did good. They were sowing seeds to the kingdom. Verse 35, For I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, verse 40, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Yes, every human being is precious in God's sight. And to them it wasn't unusual. It was just a way of life. They didn't think that, well, this is some special um, reward or special event that I'm accomplishing. I need to have a great reward because I'm feeding someone who's hungry, clothing someone who's naked. It was just a part of their natural way of living. And so they were a little surprised. He said, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. We need to help our spiritual brothers and sisters as well as those who are in the world. We need to strengthen one another. Uh, let's turn to that in Luke, uh, the 22nd chapter, Luke 22 and verse 31. Hmm. Luke 22 and verse 31. Remember, Peter had denied Christ, and this is after his Jesus' resurrection, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that you may, he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. I'm sorry, this is before his resurrection. 
But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Or in the King James Version, when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. That's what God's ministers are continually striving to do. And that's what we do with one another. We encourage one another. We just had a sermon number 630, encourage one another. Let's turn to James, the fifth chapter, James 5. We want to strengthen one another, encourage one another, always thinking of helping one another. James, the fifth chapter, James 5, starting with verse 19. Bring back the erring one, is the subhead. James 5.19, Brethren, if any of among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James Barclay in his commentary on James and Peter states this as the supreme human achievement. Now we can argue the point whether it is. Of course, John 15.13, Jesus said, no greater love has a man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. If you can bring back someone who's going astray, that is one of the supreme human achievements that God can use you. As Barclay goes on to say, James finishes his letter with one of the greatest and most uplifting thoughts in the New Testament, and yet one which occurs more than once in the Bible. Turn to James, the third chapter, back a page, and we understand, yes, we need to continually do good to all men, and particularly to help our brothers who may be going astray. James, the third chapter, and verse 17. How can we do that? By praying for heavenly wisdom, godly wisdom. Verse 17, James 3. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Pray for godly wisdom. Pray that you can be a peacemaker. So a second strategy of sowing seeds of the kingdom is continually doing good to all men. Okay. The third strategy is <clears throat> share the good news. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. Share the preaching of the gospel. Share the good news. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. I'm going to have to move along here a little more quickly. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9, 5. Remember the uh, divisions that were going on in the Corinthian church? And Paul is addressing that problem. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Yet we all have different functions as the body. Some plant, some water, but we need to, of course, all of us. Strive to plant seeds for the kingdom. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, another metaphor, an analogy. You are God's building. 
So we need to plant, we need to water, we need to harvest. And of course, tomorrow you'll have the opportunity perhaps to share with those who come and ask them, as you heard in their sermonette, about uh, how did you happen to hear about the lecture how, or how did you happen to hear about tomorrow's world. How many of you know the three channels on which you can receive Tomorrow's World television program Sunday morning here in Charlotte? How many of you can recite all three? Okay. Um, 0.001%. <laughs> all right. Here it is on the back. This is the uh, latest Tomorrow's World magazine that you've most received on the back. You have, again, the Tomorrow's World special presentations listed here, and also, of course, the uh, telecast uh, times on the inside here. And we have, of course, here in Charlotte at uh, 5.30 in the morning, at five o'clock, 6 o'clock, sorry, in the morning, WGN. What do we have at 6.30? We have Discovery Channel. What do we have at 7 o'clock? W-A-X-N. So you can watch the telecast three times Sunday morning. And as ambassadors for Christ, as those who are sowing seeds and sharing the good news, you need to be able to help people. Remind them, you can see the telecast three times uh, next Sunday morning. Too late today. It's 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday afternoon. But you can see it, of course, Monday nights. Uh, Some may be able to see it over uh, W-H-K-Y. Uh, here on Time Warner Channel at 7.30. And that's Channel 18 on Time Warner, Monday nights at 7.30. So they actually can see it four times here uh, for most comment here in the local area. And just as another thought, as you read the magazines, uh, Dr. Meredith will be making available uh, this issue of Tomorrow's World uh, so that the guests can have a copy of this. And will you know what is in this magazine? Have you read any of these articles? It would be helpful if you are enthusiastic about one of these articles and perhaps one of the guests tomorrow will talk about the handwriting on the wall or one of the other articles in here, what is the meaning of your life, and so forth. So again, be aware of what the church is teaching and preaching so you can communicate with those who are now becoming interested. Of course, there are other ways of helping out too, and we have in each of our booklets, this is Christian baptism, uh, its real meaning. And uh, here you see Mr. Gary Amen and another one of our uh, parishioners here. You may not recognize him from this distance, but he's in the audience today. Um, but uh, nonetheless, in each of these booklets, we have little cards. And you might take one of these cards and give it to a friend or someone uh, who you might meet, might be interested This is Satan's Counterfeit Christianity. The other booklet that we, another booklet here, for example, is The Holy Days, God's Master Plan. Uh, We have another card in here that you could tear out and give. It's the Ten Commandments. So these are ways of sowing seeds to others. Uh, One other person, and some of you are sowing seeds without realizing it, when you have the bumper sticker, Tomorrow's World. This comment came in from Ocala, Florida. One day in traffic, I was following an auto with a notice that on it read, Tomorrow's World. And I wonder if you have representatives here in Ocala. 
So someone had sowed seeds just by having a bumper sticker with a Tomorrow's World label on it, and someone got interested and connected with us. So a third way of sowing seeds is to share the good news. A fourth way is to be ready to give an answer, and that was covered in the sermonette. But let's read that in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. Read that again. We read it in the sermonette. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So do you have an answer? If you don't know the answer, of course, you say, I don't know. Uh, go ahead and ask uh, Mr. Lee. He has the answers. And uh, so or Mr. McNair, who will be there tomorrow. So be ready to give an answer. We have sermon number 293, titled, Always Be Ready to Give an Answer. And uh, again, it's the exhortation received about studying the Bible every day is very helpful. And we heard in the sermonette, you know, keep your answers short. Uh, you don't want to overwhelm those who answer. I, you know, Doc, Mr. Apartian's uh, interviews, the 17-minute video that we saw here in uh, Charlotte, in which he told the story of meeting Dr. Hay, and he was going to challenge Dr. Hay about what day was the Sabbath. And so he said, you know, Dr. Hay, why do you keep the seventh-day Sabbath? And Mr. Party was ready to, to go ahead and debate him. And Dr. Hay's answer was simply, because God says so. And Mr. Party said, checkmate, you know. And he realized that he had been stumped with that short answer. So, again, be ready to give an answer number four. Number five, support God's word work financially. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 9. We read this, of course, on occasion during the days of unleavened bread or during the holy days. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. Again, it shows an attitude of who we are and what we are. Starting with verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. What's the context? Supporting God's work financially. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Is God going to be able to take care of you if you're generous? And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Now remember, brethren, that those many of our brethren are out of work. They're unemployed, and they don't have any increase upon which to tithe. But at the same time, remember that God said, You have robbed me in tithes and offerings. And even the widow gave the two mites. She didn't have much. It wasn't a tithe that she threw into the temple treasury. It was an offering. And so even if you are poor, remember that God expects you to give an offering. We do thank you for your contributions to the emergency fund 
that Dr. Meredith announced here some uh, weeks ago. And uh, those, you know, when I think back of those who contributed to God's work before I heard uh, the World Tomorrow radio broadcast by Mr. Herbert Armstrong and began receiving the Plain Truth magazine in January 1960, how was I able to get that information? Someone contributed to the work to pay for that radio broadcast, to pay for the printing of that magazine that I received. And uh, as I told you, when I started reading it and teaching the 8th grade Sunday school class, I, I didn't have enough uh, really substantive uh, information to give uh, from that uh, church's organization. So I started using the Plain Truth magazine series on the Ten Commandments written by Roderick C. Meredith. So anyway, that got me interested as I taught uh, the Sunday school class. So again, number five is to support God's work financially. Number six is to support the Tomorrow's World special presentations and other activities. Again, tomorrow at the University Hilton Hotel at 2 o'clock. Again, uh, in 2010, we had 102 Tomorrow's World special presentations, and we had 3,453 new people attend who were witness to, and many of them came in to start attending our congregations when we had an 8% increase in attendance in uh, the church worldwide um, over 2009, 2010. Many of you will be serving there tomorrow. We thank you for your ushering, for uh, helping out with uh, whatever tasks you may have there tomorrow. But pray fervently, brethren, tomorrow that God will call those who will benefit from Dr. Meredith's message, uh, those who may be calling to be part of the very body of Christ, that they might go on to the next uh, meeting the following Sunday and uh, continue to grow and be further involved. So number six, support the Tomorrow's World Special Presentations and other activities. Number seven, pray for more laborers into the harvest. We've emphasized this over the years. Turn to Matthew, the ninth chapter, Matthew 9. How can you sow seeds to the kingdom? By praying for more laborers to enter into the harvest. Matthew 9, verse 35. And again, we see Jesus' compassion here. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease. Verse 36, but when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, verse 37, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There are people all over the world, China, Russia, South Africa, all over the world, Latin America, that need the gospel. And the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, your Lord and Savior, my Lord and Savior, Jesus of Nazareth tells me and you, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And that's happening. There are more laborers into the harvest, more co-workers, more donors, more ministers, more members, more laborers. Be praying that. I was uh, mentioning that in a recent sermon, not here in uh, Charlotte, and the person said, hmm, I better, I better look up other places where Jesus tells me to pray. As in Matthew 24, pray that your flight not be in the winter. 
When's the last time you prayed that? Of course, I prayed that when we had snow here in Charlotte a couple months ago. You pray that the flight not so you need to understand. Follow your Lord's instructions. Do what he says. Pray for more laborers into the harvest. We have to come boldly before God's throne. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, Hebrews 4, was listening to a tape, a radio broadcast of Herbert W. Armstrong coming over here. And he was... uh, expounding the book of Hebrews, uh, the priesthood book, as he referred to it. And he said, no, here, if there's a golden text to the book of Hebrews, it's this. Hebrews 4 and uh, verse, well, starting with verse 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So when you're suffering, you're in pain, you're struggling physically, emotionally, or whatever way, your Lord and Savior, your high priest, knows what you are experiencing because he experienced it and worse. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Yes, God's mercy, his unmerited pardon, his blessings, his favor. That's what his grace is. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I hope you're doing that. I hope you'll do that for the presentation tomorrow. To pray that God will very much inspire the presentation, that everything will go smoothly and God will bring those to the presentation that he is calling or witnessing to. When we were at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville this past week, the government of Israel presented a, a, an amazing breakfast uh, for 500 people, had a full orchestra, had huge screen presentations, Uh, It was an incredible investment. They were trying to, of course, encourage uh, those attendees with all their various ministries to bring tours to Israel. And their theme was, come to Israel, you'll never be the same. And so many of the testimonies and witnesses of the video presentations of tourists and ministers who have been there said, you know, confirm, you'll never be the same. Well, you know what? You don't have to go to Israel to have that happen to you. You go to the throne of grace in heaven, and you'll never be the same if you're wanting to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ and to be transformed to his nature, as it tells us in Romans 8, 29. Israel had 3.5 million tourists in 2010. It was their biggest year of tourism. 800,000 came from the United States and Canada and they said it was 26% increase over the previous year. But, of course, they're wanting to encourage more tourism with all the upset in the Arab nations around Israel, and we'll see how that's going to affect them this year. But we have a throne that we can go to, the throne of grace, where we can obtain grace and mercy to help in time of need. And I think of it as almost every day is a time of need for me, I don't know what it is for you. God has called us to witness to the end of the earth. And we all must grow spiritually. 
and bear spiritual fruit, as we saw in John 15. We all need to participate in planting, watering, and harvesting. Will you sow the wind and reap the whirlwind, or will you sow righteousness? LCR Bouffier planted seeds year after year, 100 seeds a day for the rest of his life, and a whole area of southeast France was transformed, according to the novel on that story. Johnny Appleseed planted seeds all over the, the Midwest, and apple trees grew all over and benefited thousands of people. God's work is sowing seeds of the gospel all over the world now, and you have your part. You want to develop a loving and personal relationship and multiply that. You want to continually good to all men, as it says in Galatians 6 and verse 10, especially the household of God, the household of faith. You want to share the good news with others. You want to be ready to give an answer. You want to continually, and we thank you for that, support of God's work financially. You want to support the Tomorrow's World special presentations and other church activities and to pray for more laborers into the harvest. Let's turn to one final scripture, one that is a part of a planned epitaph, if it ever needs to be written on my tombstone, where here lies Richard Ames. He was an overcomer and turned many to righteousness. And that's what we do as we plant seeds to the kingdom. Verse 3, Daniel 12. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. We saw the wisdom that we need. It's a wisdom that's from above, as we read in James, the third chapter. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We are all in the process of turning many to righteousness. So, brethren, let's help others inherit the kingdom. Let's sow seeds to the kingdom so that God will produce a spiritual harvest, a spiritual harvest of thousands, of millions, and eventually billions of people who will eventually join his family forever. You can make a difference. Produce spiritual fruit and diligently, diligently sow seeds to the kingdom.